Welcome back to the Soul on Fire podcast. We are on episode nine, episode eight, episode nine. I'm starting to lose count, which is a good thing because that means this podcast is up and running and we're not just counting on one hand anymore. We're we're getting into the second or third month. And I definitely hope to do this every week for the rest of time because that's how I am with everything I love. So very, very, very excited that this is happening and um, that you guys are here listening, helping make this a reality, this podcast. So thank you. Um, Today for this episode, we have Catherine Budig. She is just the coolest. She's a total... I mean, I don't even know how to introduce her because I have idolized her for so long. I can't even... I can't even lie and say that I wasn't completely nervous to begin this interview. And I think I'm always slightly nervous before we do an interview just because I want to do my guest justice and have a really meaningful conversation and hope that they're comfortable. But usually my nerves aren't too bad, um, especially because I know everybody personally that has been on the podcast so far. But I was nervous with Catherine because she's just, she's somebody who I've looked up to for a long time. You guys will hear all about this in the podcast because I told her, which I mean, she already knew some of this, but told her how long ago it was that I discovered her, which was from a toe socks ad that she was in that I put into the newsletter for LA Yoga Magazine back in the day. Um, And I had just really followed her closely ever since then. I thought it was really cool that she was, um, that she was a yogi rock star, awesome person who also had a blog and and was traveling and teaching. And she basically developed this whole wellness lifestyle brand for herself, um, back before branding yourself like that was really a thing. So not that she set out to brand herself because that's kind of the opposite of what she did. This all just happened organically, which you'll learn when you hear her whole story. But I just can't sing her praises enough. If if you don't know her, follow her. Um, check her out. Just check her out before the interview even starts because so you can have a visual of she's just this awesome, strong, like short blonde, icy blonde hair. She's She just has this like effortless coolness about her that I totally admire. Um, and yeah, she's been on the um, social media circuit for a long time. Um, so you can check her out anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, her website. Um, but... Before we get into the interview, I will dive into the intro that um, that I now do every episode, the journal style intro that's so fun. So I basically filmed this whole interview with um, Hudson like sitting on my neck because I decided to sit on the ground for this interview because if you know me at all, I like sitting on the ground. I much prefer it to a desk or a table or a chair or a couch or anything else. I love to sit on the ground. It's kind of like what me and my best friends do when we see each other. We sit on the ground and catch up. We even lay down on the ground. So I was sitting on this on the ground doing this interview and Hudson came up and like sat right behind my head and was kind of like wrapping his paws around my neck. I tried to take some selfies, but I was also really engrossed in the conversation with Catherine. So I didn't have a ton of luxury of time to take to take selfies of Heidi doing this, but it was so cute. And I'm definitely going to post it on my Instagram story or on my personal Instagram too. So you should check it out. He's so fucking cute. 
And in other news, I'm heading back to Sacramento today to be with my family for the holidays. Very excited. This is my favorite time of year. I don't really care if that's super cliche to say because it's just true. I love this time of year because I love my whole family being together. I love being in Sacramento because this is literally the only time of year when all of my friends that I grew up with and myself are all home at the same time. So it's really fun because we can get together. We can go out. We can run into like everybody that we went to high school and middle school and elementary school with, which is just fun because when else does that ever happen? Like never pretty much. So I'm really, really happy that um, that I'll be home. I'm flying back with my 13-year-old niece today. Wow. I can't believe she's 13. So weird to think about, but she's amazing. Um, we're pretty excited to be home. And um, I was going to host a yoga class or like a Balance Bond Apparel pop-up or a book signing or something because I usually like to do something like that when I'm in Sacramento because I don't really get to Sacramento that often, but I, it's like my roots, my hometown, love to do that kind of stuff. Um, but I decided not to this time because... I'm just trying to take a break. My mantra for 2017 is slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. So I'm trying to slow down and I think it would be in my best interest to not have an event to host while I'm home because I'm only home for like eight or nine days, which yes, is a long time, but it goes really fast when everybody's in town and um, I just want to veg out at home. Like I definitely want to work on my book and I'm going to be memorizing this yoga sequence for SoCal Hot Yoga to be um, to be able to teach their signature SoCal class. So I'll have a lot on my plate to begin with. I also want to cook a lot of healthy food for Christmas because I always like to do that so I can throw it in with the rest of my family's food and I can have more stuff to eat. Um, So it's going to be busy. Um, And then I'm coming back to LA. And if you haven't seen this, guys, Sophie Jaffe, my dear, dear friend who was on episode three of this podcast. Was she on episode two? Oh no, she was on episode three. We're hosting together an event at SoCal Hot Yoga for New Year's. It's it's like an actual New Year's Eve party that's going to be a yoga flow taught by myself, intention setting and guided meditation led by Sophie and a talk circle and journaling session about what we all want to accomplish in the new year. So it's like vision boarding, setting our goals, sharing them with the group, maybe sharing um, some difficulties, some challenges of 2016 and leaving them in the past. So I'm excited about it. If you live in LA or if you live close enough to LA to join us, you can still get tickets on SoCal Hot Yoga's website on the events section of their website. And um, if you can't find it or if you want more information, just talk to me directly. You can ask me about it on Instagram or email or like the contact form on my website, anything. So we're pretty over the moon about it. I've always wanted to host something like this for New Year's. I've just never had the chance. So I'm hoping that this becomes like a yearly thing and it'll be really special. We've had a lot of interest so far. So I think it's going to be a really rocking group of people and not to be a crazy cat lady, but I'm looking at Hudson's face right now. He's sleeping and his face is like mushed into the couch and his lips literally look like human lips. It's so weird. It's it's so weird how human-like he is. He's so cute. He's amazing. Um, 
Yeah. So basically anybody who wants to come to the event, please come. And oh, the other exciting news is as I'm sitting here, I just watched a photo be posted from Jeanette Ogden of Shot the Kale Up. If you don't follow her, you absolutely have to. She's sensational. And she's going to be an upcoming guest on the podcast. I'm interviewing her tomorrow. Whoop, whoop. But she just posted a photo of her in the Balanced Bond Apparel Let's Get Down Dog Tank. And we're already seeing orders rolling in from that post. So I'm really excited because we sent a couple of teas to some of our favorite bloggers and Instagrammers to post about. And she is the first one to get it up. And we're so excited. It looks so good. And I'm honored that she's always willing to help assist out. That is the definition of a good friend, good person, someone who doesn't have a big ego, someone who will just help somebody out. And I always hope to be that way too. I never hope to be that girl who's like, I can't post about that because you're not paying me. Um, Not when it's like a legitimate friend or somebody who I really admire reaching out to me because of course, it's always nice to help people out and be supportive. So that's my little tidbit for the day. Um, I could go on and on because I have a lot to say, a lot of updates to give you guys. I've also been using Instagram Live, which is very fun, but it also made my mom like really uncomfortable and nervous because there were people in the Instagram Live saying, where do you live? Can you please share your address? You look tired. I want to put you to rest in bed with me and really creepy things like that. So my mom was like, stop doing this. You're going to gather stalkers. And she wrote in the Instagram Live, bye girl, bye. Let's get off now which was really funny. Um, people laughed about it, including myself. But yeah, so check me out on Instagram Live if I, if I ever do it again and don't want to be stalked by anybody. But um, yeah, well, now I'm rambling. I feel like intros just turn into a ramble sash, but they're also really fun. So without further ado, it's time to introduce our stunning, wonderful, amazing, inspirational warrior goddess, aim true guest, Catherine Budig. Catherine Budig, I am so excited to have you here today. This is like super thrilling for me because when I started this podcast, Soul on Fire, which was only about two months ago, I made a list of people who were my dream guests to have on the podcast and you were at the very top of that list. So it's just (laughs) awesome that you've agreed to be here today to share your journey and your inspiration with my Balanced Blonde crew. You're such an inspiration to all of us in the yoga world and the wellness world and pretty much just entrepreneurs everywhere, women everywhere, men as well. So let's just get right into it. And you can tell us a little bit about who you are for people who might not be as familiar as I am. Sure. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for the lovely intro. That's really sweet of you. I have been in the wellness world for about 14 years now. I've been teaching yoga. I trained in Los Angeles at Yoga Works with Chuck and Mati, the founders. And it was a very kind of accidental career. I got into it when I graduated from the University of Virginia. And I had been in theater my entire life. So I thought I was going to pursue a theatrical career and thought yoga was just going to pay my bills until, you know, I was blowing up the Hollywood scene and quickly realized that Hollywood was not my cup of tea, but that I really loved yoga. So got into teaching, started teaching in Los Angeles, started teaching on the road, 
and then started writing about yoga and wellness and it, it has expanded from there. And now I'm the author of two books and I contribute a, a ton with my cooking and I am going to be starting my third book soon, oh, yes, starting yay. a podcast in 2017 couple Amazing. little show ideas working. So just in, in the, the wellness lifestyle realm is really the direction that I'm moving. Yeah. Well, that's so cool to hear, especially as somebody who I do a lot of lifestyle content and I'm very passionate about lifestyle stuff just to show people that like we as yogis or we as like health food junkies, all of that. It's a whole lifestyle, the balanced lifestyle. So I think that's really cool that you're planning to share all of that stuff. It's exciting that you're starting a podcast and your third book. This is going to be a big year for you. Plus like a move and life transitions and all of that stuff, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I am ready to say goodbye to 2016. And this is hands down been the worst year of my entire life. Oh my gosh, I feel you. I kind of think it's something in the universe because so many people feel that way. I know I feel that yeah, way. It's been a brutal year universally, it seems. Yeah, brutal. I think so too. It's just been one thing after the next. It's been like the most <laughs> unlucky year of my life. I'm not really sure what it is, but there's that joke going around the internet thing. The first rule of 2017 is don't talk about 2016. And I can, right, completely, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> can completely relate to that. So I think 2017 has a lot in store for both of us, which is exciting. And hopefully for everybody listening too. So right. It's better. We're going to kick its butt back into 2016. <laughs> I know. That's exactly right. We'll just, we'll just push it right on back here because it's time for things to be positive. It's just time for all of the energy in the universe to be positive again. I completely think. So this podcast is all about sharing inspiration from people who have set their souls on fire. And I feel like you have completely set your soul on fire. Your life is just awesome. Even if 2016 was challenging, (laughs) really challenging. Um, And I feel like no matter what, whether it be in person or even just on your social media and through your book, you radiate such grace and positivity into the world. So how did you set your soul on fire? How did you find what it was that you love the most to pursue it? Well, you know, I I think it stems from childhood is, uh, I'm a Gemini and I feel like I really fall under a lot of the the generic descriptions of Gemini. I have so many interests and and hands or in so many different cookie jars. And I've been that way ever since I was a little girl. And I was very lucky to have parents who nurtured that. And I think one of the tickets to setting your soul on fire is the ability to acknowledge everything that you love and also not putting limitations on what that love is. So just because you might be wildly passionate about one topic at this point of your life, that's not to say that another topic or genre or career or person or relationship is going to come into your life at a a later time and make you reassess and go, maybe it's time to reinvent. Maybe it's time to switch things up. So I think the secret for me as an individual to keeping, well, igniting and keeping the fire burning is really being true to what I desire and true to what sets my heart on fire. You know, what inspires me, what makes me impassioned. And I I notice I get smaller when I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I I need to keep doing this thing that I'm not passionate about because it's safe, because it's lucrative, because it's uh, what I know. So, you know, being okay with kind of starting 
I don't want to say starting all over because I believe that whatever experiences you have, you take with you and you kind of jump from that mountain to the next one and keep scaling up. So it's not completely dropping everything that you've had before, but just being willing to reinvent is so important. Yeah, no, I can completely, completely agree with that. And I love that you said that because I think just allowing ourselves to evolve to that next stage of whatever it is that we're meant to be doing is so important because it's so easy to get caught up in like thinking that something still works for us because it used to work for us and it used exactly. to be the thing that we were the most passionate about. But I've definitely been through that too with all the different journeys that I've been on with veganism and even now with blogging, blogging full time. That was like the dream job for me, like the ultimate setting my soul on fire passion job. But lately I've been feeling like I just really want and need to do something more, something a little more connected, a little more off of the internet, which is why I've been, you know, starting this podcast and trying to create different things for myself that are not so rooted in being on the computer all the time. Cause that was starting to not fill my soul at all. And I felt really guilty about it for a while. Like, but this is my dream job. This is my passion. I have to chase this. But to give myself permission to kind of let it be a passion again, even though it was taking avenues of being like super lucrative and working with tons of brands and kind of making that dream come true, being able to take care of myself, doing what I love, but it was starting to become a bit stagnant. So to give myself that permission to change and evolve, it's scary, but it's true. It's good to hear you say that because I think that's how we stay happy in this life. That's how we stay the most passionate. Sure. You know, I think you need to stay thirsty. You need to stay hungry. And uh, to quote Hamilton, the musical, I'll never be satisfied. Yeah. And, you know, not which I know could maybe be perceived negatively, but it's not I'll never be satisfied. I'll never be happy. It's like, you know, you you get a new job and you're like, this is my dream job. And then like anything, you get really good at it and you become accustomed to it. And Yeah, I do think there are people who are really comfortable doing the same thing their entire lives and that makes them happy and that's a beautiful, lovely, wonderful thing. Or you go, okay, I'm really comfortable. This isn't as exciting as it used to be, so how can I evolve? Yeah. You know, it's it's not burn the house down. Right. (laughs) Yeah, walk away. How can I evolve? Yeah, no, exactly. I completely, completely agree with that. So something really cool for people listening that you probably don't know is that, so Catherine and I, we had never met in person. This was probably like a couple years ago, but we had been talking on Instagram and kind of going back and forth. And I had reached out to her and told her how much she inspired me and interviewed her for my blog. And we had talked about sending each other the books that we both had coming out. So we're both in New York, like probably, uh, yeah, I think this was maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And I walk into the Hearst building to do an interview for Breaking Vegan before it came out. And I had been talking about Catherine that morning to my agent saying like, oh, this, this awesome yoga rock star, her book's coming out. I'm pretty obsessed with her. I'm really excited about her book. We should really check it out. And my agent, you know, was like, oh, really? Like, let's look her up. Show me her website. So we had this whole Catherine Budig exchange in the morning and my agent, Sarah and I, and then we walk into the Hearst building. And Catherine Budig is standing there in the lobby (laughs) and I'm like staring at her and you, Catherine, were staring back at me because we we had been (laughs) talking and Sarah looks at me. She's like, do you know those people over there? They're like, I think they know who you are. And I couldn't even get my words together to be like, that's 
Catherine. That's who I was telling you about this morning. This is so weird. And of course it was awesome. We got to talk, we got to meet, we took some pictures with our books and it was really cool, especially because neither of us even live in New York. So it was just like the most happenstance thing that we both happened to be there at the same time, same building, like such a small world. (laughs) Yeah. Publications and everything. It was just insane. So, um, so I believe in fate. I think that things happen like that for a reason in our lives, whether it be like the universe telling us that we're on the right path or, you know, just like something that was meant to be to show us that we're going in the right direction. So is that something that you believe too? Or do you think it was just a happy coincidence or what? Right. Um, you know, I, I, I believe in manifestation, but I, I think the reason that people kind of oscillate with whether or not they believe in fate, you know, I mean, that's such a not antiquated, but like beautiful kind of like old Greek God kind of concept mm-hmm. the fates. So yes, I, I do believe in it, but I also think the reason that people struggle with this concept of fate is that they think that fate means it, it is positive. And so in manifestation where it's like, you know, you want to manifest, manifest like, oh, my book's going to be a New York Times bestseller or something like that. And so say it doesn't become that. And then you think, wow, my manifestation skills suck. <laughs> and I think that's the problem is that our, our cute little tiny human brains think they understand everything. Right. And so I think it's very important for us to manifest, for us to create what it is that we want and put that energy and effort into the world, but also understand that there's a big plan for us out there. And just because the plan isn't syncing up with our very specific, slightly selfish schedule, yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean it isn't working. So yeah, I do believe in fate. I'm just making, you know, I daily work on realizing that fate doesn't necessarily line up with the most comforting version for myself every day. So a lot of bad things happen. A lot of things that I particularly do not request happen, but that is fate. And it's all taking me in the right direction if I continue to manifest and energetically put out there what it is that I want and be okay with the the bumps and the baseball hats to the head along the, not the hats, the the bats (laughs) to the head along the way. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you on that. And I think the crazy part about it that made it feel more of like a sign from the universe to me (laughs) is that I had been talking that morning about what my second book, what I wanted my second book to be about, which is very much rooted in yoga. It's like a memoir style yoga book, sort of. And that's kind of how you came up so specifically. And so then seeing you just like 45 minutes later, that's what kind of felt like a little poke from the universe to me saying, oh, maybe you should write that book. Like Catherine, you know, was somebody that you were talking about as inspiration for that book. You've never met her in person and here she is. And I never could have asked the, I, I never could have said that morning in my head, I hope I see Catherine Budig somewhere around New York today. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I see been a love stream. But, but yeah. yeah right. No, I know. Right. Like, th- I don't think that like, you're right. Like when it comes to fate or things then it could have been disappointing. Like, man, I didn't run into anybody that inspires me today or I didn't see anybody that I know, but it was just such a surprise, which was what made it so cool. Small comforting moments. And I I think we all want reassurance, right? I I think every single human desires some form of reassurance. So if it comes in the form of this 
quote unquote coincidental meeting, you know, that's so charming and it's so lovely. And sometimes that's all we need is an extra little push to go. Yeah. You know what? Yes. Yes. This is what I'm going to do. And I feel confident about this. Right. So I believe wherever you can pull that confidence from that, that's fantastic. I completely, completely agree. So speaking of yoga, Yoga has been such a huge part of your life for a long time. True. You, yeah, you've been teaching for a long time. You have built all sorts of awesome stuff around yoga. I remember discovering your website back when I worked at LA Yoga Magazine as an intern when I was in college and I was working for <laughs> Felicia Tomasco and she sent me this toe socks ad to put in the newsletter and it was you doing like some crazy cool move. And that's how I had first discovered you. So, and then I saw your website and saw that you did so much more than just yoga. You were leading retreats, you had a blog, and I found that all really, really cool and inspiring. So what was your journey to, to finding yoga? And um, what did the road to teaching look like for you? Right. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, the yoga world today was very, very very different compared to what I came up in. Mm -hmm. And I found yoga when I was in college at Virginia and it was just something, I didn't know much about it. I didn't know there were different styles. I just knew that I was in retrospect, I was taking a shanga. I didn't realize that and that I loved it and it felt good. And I loved my teacher and it was one of the highlights of my week. And so it was such a pure introduction to it because there was no Instagram. There were no celebrities. It was just, wow, I do this thing with my body and I feel good. And I've been an athlete my entire life. So I'm very comfortable and used to physically using my body. But yoga was one of the first physical experiences for me that had this really remarkable lasting effect. And I I loved it so much that I eventually you know, scrounged together enough money to go twice a week because I was a college student. Yoga's mm-hmm. expensive. And by the time I was going two times a week, I, I got close to graduating and I thought, I really dig this. Maybe I could learn how to teach it. And my teacher's like, great, you're going to LA. You have to go to Yoga Works. You have to train with Mati Azradi, which again, made, meant absolutely nothing to me. Right. But I took her advice and little did I know she was sending me to one of the best teachers in the world at one of the best studios in the world. So no pressure. (laughs) And uh, I I moved to Los Angeles, you know, little tiny 21 year old. And uh, the day after I moved, I started my teacher training because, you know, why waste time? And it was a lot. It was, it was just, I almost didn't make it through the first weekend because I, I I didn't even walk in with expectations. I had no clue, but I didn't expect it to be so intense. Mm -hmm. And it was way more intense than the yoga that we had done at Virginia. And I felt in and over my head, like many teacher trainees constantly do. I hear people all the time. I'm not advanced enough to be doing this. I'm not good enough to be doing this. And I think every single person who does a teacher training has that emotion at some point or maybe the entire time. Yes. And, you know, I just had to take a breather and step outside of my self for a second and say, okay, you know, I've signed up, I've committed, I'm going to do this, which obviously was one of the best choices that I've ever made. And you have to make peace with your demons of insecurities and just move forward and recognize that you're a student. And we're a student for our entire lives. And if you can keep that, it's such a beautiful mentality to maintain. If you can be comfortable with it, I just soaked up as much as I could. And Mati saw something in me that I wouldn't have seen in myself. And so she threw me on as a student teacher immediately after training, which absolutely terrified me. But I did it because you do whatever she says. Mm -hmm. And that was really the catalyst uh, to the journey of of becoming a teacher and 
I started teaching, you know, up to, gosh, I think at one time, probably 17 classes a week or something ridiculous like that. And, um, riding around teaching at studios, several studios, teaching private clients, doing lunch, business lunch classes, all that good stuff. And then eventually started to dabble in traveling nationally. And, and is one of those things, this is back in the day when there weren't a ton of teachers traveling nationally and internationally that once you're on the circuit, then you're in. So that became my life was traveling and teaching. And I know now it's like this super uh, prolific thing, but at the time, again, it was like, oh, special, cool, this is different. So I've been really traveling heavily since 2008, and I've actually taken my first travel sabbatical that I've taken since then. So I won't be teaching until April 2017, which I am, I actually would like it to be longer, but I'm pretty jazzed. Yeah. (laughs) That's having a couple exciting. months of not getting on an airplane and jet setting all over the place. Yeah. So, um, and you know, amongst all that, I, I, I began writing. I started writing, blogging at Elephant Journal and for Huffington Post and uh, the Daily Love, and then uh, got hired to become the yoga contributing editor to Women's Health Magazine. So I was writing regularly for them, and then I wrote a book for them. And so all, you know, it was a snowball effect. I did the toe socks ads that you <laughs> had to deal with. And if you haven't seen that, I am butt naked in them except for <laughs> socks. So I'm, like, practically clothed. Uh, and as you can imagine, that created quite the controversy. And so that put my name out there, not in a way that I was particularly comfortable with. Right. But as my famous friends have told me before, no press is bad press. And I'm like, okay, it sucks though. It does suck (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Right. And so for years and years, I was known as, oh, that naked yoga chick, which was not exactly what I wanted on my bio line. But, you know, I had to break through that, that label and be like, actually, I'm a really excellent teacher. And, you know, it's just time and time and confidence and proving yourself and putting yourself out there and and now it, uh, my life is evolving more into into food and lifestyle, and I just you know yoga is so beautiful, and, but it's such a it's a it's such a big world, and the word yoga I actually find to be somewhat limiting. So I'm trying to take all this beautiful yoga training and experience and gifts that I've been given from my teachers and transform it into a larger message. Is the direction that I want to move in now. Wow. I love that. It's so cool hearing back to what the beginning of your journey was like because... Oh, yeah. And no plans. There was no like, I'm going to be a famous yoga teacher because that wasn't really a thing. I mean, there was, you know, Sean Korn and Shiva Ray and Baron Baptiste, but I've never wanted to own my own studio. I've never wanted to patent a brand. You know, I've never wanted to start my own style. That's just, it's never appealed to me. And I was like, oh, well, if you want to be rock star yoga teacher, you have to do that. You know, and now it's like... you. It, everybody's a yoga rock star. It's like not really an unusual thing. It's like, look at my Instagram page. I have millions of followers. It's like, whoa, holy crap. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I know. It's changed a lot. It's changed. It's yeah. Changed. It's, 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 it's different. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I mean, I'm, I can't even imagine having, you know, started teaching back when you did and then watching the way that yoga has transformed over the years because I, just recently started teaching um, after doing trainings in the past, but never beginning to teach because it was just like so scary to me. And I just didn't even know where to start. But I found yoga when I was like 15 and completely fell in love with it. So I can definitely relate to being a part of the yoga world back before anything about it was cool or there was like any way, you know, to like, 
just, yeah, be famous because of yoga. Or, I mean, those people were always like rock stars to me. Baron Baptiste, Sean Corn, Sheena Ray, right. all those people. The old, but, the old school, like, you know, really holding up the fort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But other than that, I mean, it was always something that just made me kind of different. People were like, oh yeah, you do yoga. Like, I don't even know what yoga is mm-hmm. or, or who those mm-hmm. people are. So now to watch yoga turn into this thing where... Yeah, there are people with millions of followers just because they can <laughs> twist into some kind of... Yes, they can. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just I feel daily grateful that I was lucky enough to get into the practice when I did because, I mean, if I started right now, I'm, I'm and I mean, I'm not degrading myself with this comment. I, I believe that I'm an excellent teacher, but I would be another excellent teacher, little blonde girl next door looking like there's millions of us, you know, it's just, and I think I have some obviously very something special to offer, but so many of us have things that are special to offer who are never going to get the light of day because they're never going to give in, they don't get the opportunity. Right. So I'm just really grateful that I was blessed or chosen to be given this gift and privilege to be where I am. And it's not something I take for granted. And it's not like, oh, I'm just so much better than everyone else. And that's why I am where I am. No, there's like millions of people who are equally as talented, if not better than I am. And I'm very aware of that. So I think that's also something to love what you do, but remain humble to the fact that like we are so privileged and even getting to practice yoga is such a privilege. It is such a privilege. So it's, you know, just keeping that in check too. And I I, I don't know if people understand their privilege anymore. I kind of see it becoming like, oh yeah, like lots of followers, I travel, I do this, it's that. It's like, oh, it's so special. Don't forget how special it is. Right. I know. It's, it is hard. It's hard to see. And like, if you could choose what direction yoga would go in from here after kind of seeing it split off and be different from what the yoga world was like back when you started teaching versus what it is now, what do you, like, what direction would you most like to see the yoga world move into? I mean, I'm going to sound like every grandparent in the world, right? You know, we're like the good old days where I had to walk two miles to get to school. (laughs) Like, yeah, I do think those were the good old days. Mm -hmm. But I think anyone who ages is always going to look back at the golden age that they experienced and say that was better. And so it's hard for me to say if like that's just my age speaking right now, but I... I miss it, you know, because I feel like it was still a place where a lot of yoga studios were still mom and pop, you know, teacher trainings weren't being pushed out factory style. People had mentors, people still had teachers, you know, they had lineage. They they, they just, it feels like there was more respect for the practice. And now I just, it's more, it's a moneymaker and, and it's a way to become famous. And I feel like if people can't find another way to become famous, this is a way that they can do it. And that saddens me a little bit because like you said, back in the day, it wasn't quote unquote cool. It's like people became yoga teachers, not to make a lot of money because you you don't, you know, if you're privileged and lucky enough to make money in yoga, that's very unique. But now it's like, oh, you can get sponsorships or you can get free stuff. And, and it's, uh. And, you know, I don't want to knock that either because I really believe that to each their own and it's such a complicated topic, but I just, I believe in putting the hard work in and I believe in good things come with time. And maybe it's that kind of millennial approach where it's like, give it to me, give it to me now, 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 now. And I just, I miss people being patient 
And I miss people being like, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to train. I'm going to train for years and years and hone my craft. And I don't see that happening anymore. And, and that makes me kind of sad. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't wildly talented people coming onto the scene. There totally are. There totally are. I have a lot of respect for some of the newbies, but it's just, yeah, I'm sounding like a waxing poetic about the golden days. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I was barely even there at that time. And I agree. Because I, you know, it's hard to watch something that something so meaningful to us, yoga, turn into such a social media trending topic kind of thing. But yeah, uh, but, but again, it's sticking with the times, you yeah, know. I mean, that's ways, that's what's current, so yeah. it has to stay current. Exactly, and it can be positive in ways because it does bring a lot. Totally, of to there the are practice. there are a lot of positive aspects to right. it. I agree. But okay. yeah, no, it's something that um, that I try to explain to people too. That like, as far as my road to teaching, there have been no shortcuts. It's probably like the most patient I've ever been with anything in my life just because <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable teaching after my 200-hour training four and a half no. years ago. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, not even close. And, and I was doing extended education and now in the 300-hour mentoring with Gigi Snyder. And uh, every day, somebody in my life is like, are you done with that training? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's still going. I still have so much to do and to learn. And I'm so happy with that. Like, that's great for me, but people aren't used to that because it is like in in this world, unless you're like going to grad school or something, there's nothing that that much time is spent on. So people are pretty shocked about it, especially because I mean, I do blog full time. So that's like the most immediate type of job there is almost. It's like, I can write something and put it out on the internet immediately. So people in my life, even my family are not very used to me just like waiting something out and really, really putting the time and effort into it. But I think when something, gosh, yeah. I mean, I see 25 year olds having midlife crises. I'm like, Whoa, too soon. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know. like you're still experimenting. You're still like testing things out. You don't have to be this like mega CEO at the age. Like, you know, I, Oh, it's like, it's okay. I was still just like messing up left and right when I was in my twenties. I mean, not like it stopped when I turned 30, but you know, like, <laughs> no, I it's, know. it's okay. It's it okay to not know. Yeah. That's comforting to hear because I too, I mean, I'm 26, but I've definitely had moments of like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> what am I yeah. doing? I feel like I should do this forever. I feel like I need to like right. find every single way to make this work and keep on doing the whole balance bond thing all the time, every second. And it hit me probably like a year ago. Like, I also just want to be happy. I just want to be like a regular person spending time with my friends and my family and not pushing myself 24 seven, because that's not, there's nothing like healthy or happy about that. So it's something that I've just had to learn after pushing myself that hard, which I'm sure everybody finds that at different, different times. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) I mean, I hope so because it's not a sustainable, sustainable way to live, but so one more question on the topic of yoga and then we'll move on from yoga because there is so much else that you do. But since I just recently started teaching, I've noticed like the etiquette in classes when people take classes is interesting, especially as a new teacher, when you're still like kind of nervous and you really want to try to read people to see if they're enjoying the class, if it feels good to them. Um, and sometimes people just come in and do their own thing entirely or it's, or you can't read their face. And it seems like 
they just don't like the class. So how do you deal with that? Like different people's energy who take your class. I have learned the hard way never to look at someone and assume you know how they feel. Yeah. And I know that's a very difficult language. And this obviously goes way beyond the perimeter of a yoga mat or a yoga class. Because I have had people who have like the worst uh, resting bitchy face (laughs) syndrome (laughs) where they just look miserable, miserable, like they hate you. And inevitably, it's always that person after, you know, a year that will come up to you and say that you changed their life or, you know, your class is the absolute highlight of their day. And meanwhile, you're writing this entire fictional story about what they think about you. and Obviously, that affects your energy because you're fixating on someone thinking they don't like you when look at the other class, like the rest of all the other students were like, yeah, I love this. This is great. Like, why do we fixate on the person who looks unhappy? So it's A, don't fixate on the bad. So easy. Stop doing it. Stop, 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 stop. And then B, just because someone doesn't look happy, you have no idea. And just because someone looks happy doesn't mean they are. You know, it's like you can't look at the shell of a person. You can't look at an Instagram feed and go, wow, they look great. They look happy. They have it all together. You have no idea. So the only thing that you can do to keep your sanity is trust that your message is important, that you have something to offer and deliver it. And as long as you're staying true to that, you're going to be solid. That is such good advice. I'm so glad that this is being recorded because I'm going <laughs> to listen to this all the time. I mean, oh, so it's, no, it's true. It's, as, as a new teacher and like doing this so far has been, it just feels so right to be teaching yoga. It feels like, mm-hmm. like such a good next step for me because I was feeling so disconnected, just blogging only. It just feels like so awesome. But it's hard. It's hard not to second guess yourself and doubt yourself, especially just as a new teacher who. And that's being human. That you know, that's great. That means you have humility. That's a good thing. Don't lose that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's true. I don't ever want to have a big ego about about it at all. But it's been good for me. It's definitely been good for me also to put so much. I mean, when I teach a class, I mean, I'm finally getting over this after teaching for a couple months. But at first, I would spend the whole entire day leading up to a night class, like practicing, teaching it, which like such an awesome shift for me, because like I said, I'm very go, 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 very like doing things immediately, trying to fit 10,000 things into my day. And I, all of a sudden, like, I can't do that because there's this one thing that I'm super dedicated to that I want to give like real full passion and energy to. So it's been a nice shift in, Mm -hmm. in, everything and just kind of like my approach to even just how I spend my days, which is fun. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate to that. Totally. And the comedy in that is it's the, the, the situations that make you sick to your stomach or nervous or so deeply outside of your comfort zone. That's always the moment where I go, Oh wow, this matters. Like to me, that's fate. Like if I, my stomach is churning over something, that means I have to do it. That means that is something that has shook me up so much that I have to move into that. And I, I tell teachers all the time who are like, when am I going to not have butterflies in my stomach before I teach? Or, you know, how do, how do I calm down? I'm like, use it. It means you care. It means you care. And if you get to a point where there's no excitement before you go into a classroom at all, then maybe it's time to reassess things. So like, don't think it's a bad thing. It's just to use that as fuel. You can totally turn it into fuel for yourself. Yeah. 
That's so true. It's true. And it goes for anything too, like public speaking or basically getting up and speaking, which is also something that you do a lot of. You speak about all sorts of awesome stuff in tons of different places. So is that something that you still get those butterflies to do? Oh my gosh, completely. I, you know, I, I, when I gave my talk at Mind Body Green at the Revitalize Summit, I really thought I, I had to put my head in between my knees. I mean, I was so nervous. I was so, so nervous. And I know I was nervous because the topic was so important to me. And so if I can just waltz on stage, it's no big deal. It's probably not that important. But if I feel sick like that, it's like, this is something that I must give do justice for. I have to. It's too important not to. So it's kind of weird saying this, but I hope that never goes away. I mean, I'm hoping I don't have to physically keep putting my head in between my knees to calm yeah. myself down. But, you know, and, and I'm a, I was an actress for a huge part of my life. So I will be sick to my stomach, but then you put me on stage and the lights are on me and the adrenaline hits, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, then like once it's go time, it's go time. But like sitting in the wings, that's the absolute freaking worst. It's the worst. Yep. <laughs> um, so, you know, you just need someone to like maybe give you that little swift kick in the arse to, to get you going. And then it, it's pretty solid once once it's going. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that because I I spend a lot of time like the leading up to something is the most like anxiety inducing painful uh, experience yeah. ever. <laughs> but I do like the moment that it actually starts or the moment that I get in front of a class or get on a stage or something, it's it all goes away and it's like the most euphoric feeling. And then afterwards, I always think back, why was I so nervous? This worked out. This was great. I love this. But again, the cycle always happens, but it is, it's a good thing. It's true. It means that it's important to us. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So, so you've written two books and you're working on your third, which I'm super excited about that you have another book coming out because I love, I love Aim True. It's in my room and I look at it frequently. So tell us a little bit about your writing process because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are aspiring writers, authors, bloggers, all that cool stuff. So what what was your process for writing your last book? I, you know, I, the, I think the most important part, especially if you're writing in a book format, it's obviously going to be different if you're blogging or writing an article, uh, is a really really sturdy table of contents. And so I always start with that. I need to have the TOC. And then from there, I'll have little sub titles within each chapter so that I I have the skeleton of this is the direction that I need the story to move. And so I can have that. Then I can start to fill in the blanks. The next part is having an excellent editor. I, I truly recommend that for every single writer. Because it, in when you're in the writing process and you're creating everything, and especially once you just hit your flow and it's just coming out of you, you might be getting down on paper what you need, but it may not necessarily be in a cohesive order. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, once you have everything there, then having a beautiful editor look at it and be like, okay, cool, this is all really nice, but this entire, you know, from page 78 to like 94, this actually should be in chapter one. So we're going to move this. And if we put this there, da, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's very difficult to look at your own writing and your own work and see that. So to have someone with those trained eyes who can read this, who's, you know, they love you, but they're not afraid to hurt your feelings a little bit. If they need to get done what needs to be done, that's crucial. So, you know, obviously, if you're working with a big publisher, you'll be assigned an editor. But if you're self-publishing, 
find someone. I mean, you can hire a freelance editor, but I really, really recommend that for all writers. Yes. Yes. Having a good editor is completely key. I agree. And I too have worked with, with editors that I feel like don't necessarily understand my writing or the direction that I want it to go. So it can be twofold. You really want to find someone who, or hope they have to understand your message completely. That's a very good point. I agree. My last editor, oh my God, I love her so much. And she just went to another publisher and it nearly broke my heart. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's so hard. It's so hard when that stuff happens because it can be hard to find someone who really connects with your writing and isn't going to change it or make or or change the message or twist it to make it like a little more sellable or all those different things you want to keep your voice but also definitely yeah because when when you write when you're in your own writing like you don't even know what what order things are supposed to be should be going in so that they flow correctly and I get that feedback all the time too even from my blog post it's like yeah, that was really good. That was very stream of consciousness. That's what a lot of right. people say to me. I'm like, yes, well, that's how I like to write. <laughs> that's kind right. of what happens. But it doesn't work as well for books as it does for blogs. No, 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 no. Way better in a blog format for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that's really, really good advice. Um, so when it comes to social media, it's I'm so inspired by your authenticity and really how it always feels like no matter what, you are just completely, completely you on social media. And that can be kind of hard to do because you're in the public eye and you don't want to share too much. Um, So how do you find that balance between sharing yourself, but not completely exposing yourself um, and sharing too, too much? Right. Uh, You know, I I don't like to share all the nitty gritty details in my personal life because then that is opening the door for people to feel completely entitled to ask me whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they'll feel entitled no matter what I do. (laughs) But if if I give them permission, it's going to get out of control really, really fast. So I I think when I choose to post things, A, whatever I post, I 100% believe in because you have to be because sometimes people will come back with, you know, emoji face with heart eyes and really supportive stuff. And then you can put something that you think is absolutely harmless and you get just pulled through the coals for it. And that's just the, you know, the, the state of social media. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. So you have to be prepared, whether you have a beautiful feedback or negative that you are still 100% backing whatever it is that you wrote. So, you know, step number one, mean what you say. You have to mean what you say because they're going to call you out on your crap really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will share aspects of my personal life to a certain extent if I think it serves the greater good. You know, I am not against each their own, but I'm not the person who's going to post, you know, 10 paragraphs on something really personal and emotional to me every now and then I'll have longer posts, but it's just, I am definitely one of those people who I need to experience. I need to sit back. I need to absorb. And then I'm going to talk about it. You're not going to see me just venting on Mm -hmm. social media because I find that four times out of five, I would regret that. (laughs) It's too much. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's just too much. So yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, I, and I, I put one post up in the last year about the fact that I'm going through a divorce right now because I'm sorry. It's not anyone's business. It's mine. It's not final yet. I'm still dealing with it. This is between me and my ex-husband and I don't 
believe it and is anyone business. And, and I have to stand strong by that. And once I have processed it, once we have processed it and it's done and I can move on with my life, then I will share what I think is good for the greater good. But I'm not going to share it just because I think it's interesting and people are going to want to follow me and it's gossipy, you know, it's just, I'm not okay with that. So I do think there's a way of sharing, but just also, why are you sharing it? Are you sharing it because you feel like you've had a slow time on social media? And if you post something really juicy, you're going to get a lot of hits, you know, it's like, that's, that's gross. You know, you need to make sure like I, this is meaningful to me and this is going to help people, or this is going to be cathartic for me, but not cathartic for this moment, like cathartic for me in the long run. So don't think of a post as just existing on that day. Like, how is this going to affect you? How is this, if you have a brand, how is this going to affect your brand? And I'm not saying that you should have this like super, you know, modified version of yourself, but just be thoughtful. I would, I would love to see people be slightly more thoughtful with what they share. Yeah. Well, I can definitely agree with that because I, yeah, I feel like, well, it can be hard to, to strike that balance between being a pretty public person and sharing, um, to hopefully help people by sharing your own experience and then accidentally sharing too much and feeling a little bit overexposed, which, which is definitely something I've done a few times too many um, <laughs> because I am more of a venter. I, I wish I was more of like a sit back, reflect, let me think about this and digest it kind of person. But I'm much more of like, this is how I feel. I think I'm going to feel this way forever. So I'm just going to, I have to talk about it. I have to write about it and I have to make, I just have to do, say it. And then of course, like I wake up the next day and have tons of texts and calls from people, family, right. close friends being like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm completely fine. I just had to get that off my chest. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, maybe you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> maybe you should have just called somebody. So I've learned because yeah, you've got to find what works best like for for you because yeah, of course for you, like I'm, I'm so completely like, respectful and and admire the fact that you've only put up one post about about your divorce and what you're going through I think that's awesome and I can only hope that one day if if I am going through something similarly challenging that I too wouldn't wouldn't be overexposing myself because like you said it invites in questions that you don't want to answer and that you don't have to answer to at all so I think the challenge is I mean, for for me, who I tend to share a lot of really emotional, personal stuff, especially on my blog, not necessarily on social media, but on my blog itself, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it invites at least, you know, 25 emails a day of people just being like, hey, I I just want to ask you more about this. Can you tell me more about it? And then I want to share with them to help them. But I don't want to be talking about that all the time. (laughs) And I don't, you know. Open that door. So yeah, yeah. and you have to be very aware. Like once you open that door, people are going to walk through it. They Mm -hmm. are going to storm through it sometimes. So just be prepared for the crowd. And it's not, like I said, like you're not going to post something and it's going to go away the next day. It's out there in the internet ether forever. (laughs) So just be okay with that kind of verbal tattoo that you're putting out into the world. Yes. Yes. No, it's true. Um, Speaking of tattoos, I love your tattoos. They're so Mm. cool. Can you tell us (laughs) what is, what is your favorite tattoo? What does it mean to you? 
Mm, well, I, I guess, you know, my arrow is my, the first one that I ever got on my forearm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it was my first one. It was special. And that was for the goddess Artemis and, and for aim true, which is, it been such a huge part of my life. So that's always going to be very, very sentimental. But um, I got two new tattoos this year, and it's uh, it says "Once Upon a Time" on my bicep, and then "Happily Ever After" on my back, and probably a pretty long explanation. But you know, in a nutshell, it's this concept of being the author of my own life, and every beautiful story, every magical story, is always starts with that phrase and this idea that every day is a new opportunity to create this happily ever after, and that I have the ability to make that happen myself. So. They're just very meaningful to me as a writer, as an author, as a human, as a partner. And I love them. They're, they're, they're very personal to me. Yeah, that's so that's so beautiful. I love that. I have one tattoo. Most people don't know that because it's on my <laughs> ribcage. It's very easily hidden, but it means balance, <laughs> which is probably not shocking to anybody because it corresponds to my zodiac sign, Libra, which also means balance. So It's always been part of my life, and I got it in Italy when I was studying abroad in college. But I'm definitely (laughs) in the market for a few new tattoos. Um, I I have some things in mind, so we'll see. Probably 2017. I feel at least one tattoo will happen for me. I want to go back to LA for my next tattoo. I want to get on the waiting list for Doctor Wu. He is amazing, by the way. W O O. And anyone listening to this, like, get in freaking line. I think it's a year waiting list. It's insane. But um, he does some of the most exquisite, exquisite work I've ever seen. Really? That's Mm. so good to know. I have to look that up because. I, yeah, the only tattoo I ever got was in a different country. And I was, yeah, then you'll have a year to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. I don't want to be impulsive with this. So that's really good. Really good. Um, so just a couple little fun, easy questions before we finish up. So you're moving the direction of lifestyle content, food, all that good stuff. What is your favorite meal? Pasta. Yeah. Pasta forever and ever and ever. Uh, pasta bolognese is just probably my favorite dish, but I've been making pasta bolognese with lentils instead of meat. And it's been unbelievable. And I don't know if it's because of winter time and I'm, it's cold and that's warming, but that's been my go-to dish lately. That sounds so good. I need to make that. I love, love pasta. Love it's so good. Um, what's your favorite restaurant in Los Angeles? I, I ha- it, it's hard to say because it's like what genre? Like, right. um, okay, so favorite you know, healthy restaurant and then favorite just like fun atmosphere type of restaurant. My favorite healthy restaurant is why am I blinking on this name? You know what I'm talking about. You total. I'm, I'm looking at my cookbooks right now because I have is their cookbook. True Food Kitchen. Yes, yes. Yeah. True Food Kitchen. So I love good. Food Kitchen. So good. Um, every time I'm in LA, I'm at least there for one meal because it's just delicious, nutritious, but very, very good, 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 good food. Like, you know, and they have great wine selection too. So it's best of both worlds. Yes. And then tar and roses in Santa Monica is one of my favorite meals. If I want to go out for like a date or I want just a really delicious, fancy meal, that's great. And I love Katsuya and Brentwood for sushi. Oh, me too. That's it's on my just, street. It's so great. I try to get there every time I'm back in LA too. Yeah. 
oh, that's the best restaurant. I have to try not to go to Katsu yet like three times a week because it's uh-huh. it's not on the block. I can see it from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> so oh, it's danger. Really, danger. Really dangerous <laughs> and really, really good. So I've I've noticed on, you know, to following you on different platforms, you have a lot of really awesome friends in your life, people who seem just like you found your tribe, which I absolutely love. So for people listening who are trying to cultivate a tribe of friends, people around them who just really lift them up and support them, what would be your advice for people who want to do that? For finding people like that for yeah. their lives? You know, I think the interesting thing about friendship is that my mother used to always say, you're wildly blessed if you can count everyone that you truly love and trust on one hand. So I think a lot of people have this idea of, I need this big group of friends. And it's not to say that there aren't a lot of people that you really enjoy spending time with, but as far as people that I would actually call in the middle of the night, if something horrible happened and I needed them, they're on one hand. I can, I can count them on one hand. So I think it's important to remember that like there's very few people that we are blessed enough to meet in this life that will be there for us no matter what. And there are many friends that come and go and I know it can feel like a betrayal or it can feel like a, uh, a failure, but it's life. It's simply life. And you take the lessons and you take the good memories and you, you digest it and hopefully grow from it and you move, you move on. And I see a lot of people holding on when they shouldn't be holding on anymore. So I think loosening your grip, stay open, definitely put yourself into situations where you're going to meet like-minded people and, and say yes to new experiences. You know, just give yourself permission to get out there. And if you have people that you really love, they probably are going to know people that you really love too, because you love them. So, you know, go out and experience these things whenever you can. Yes. Very good advice. I love that. And I, I'm with you. I think I can, I can count on one hand the people who I would call in the middle of the night. And most right. of them I've known since like kindergarten, which is like the bury the body friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Probably shouldn't be a list too long. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really good advice because I, I definitely see that mentality out there of people feeling like they need to have this big group of friends to be happy. But I so much more believe in quality and like people who are really, really just supportive and like my, or they don't even have to be like-minded, but just support you no matter what. So Mm -hmm. that is great advice. And lastly, can you tell us anything about what your next book is going to be about? Hmm, I can't tell you a lot. Uh, It's, uh, it's going to be memoir style. So either going to be like memoir or um, nonfiction narrative style. And it, it will be a follow up to aim true, but it's going to be very, 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 very different structure. So um, it's not going to be workbook oriented. It's, it's going to be an actual sit down and just read cover to cover. Well, hopefully <laughs> style <laughs> of book. Uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to give you for now. Yeah. That's it. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> Those are my favorite types of books to read. So I will for sure be reading that cover to cover. And I think it'll probably be really fun for you to write because those are just. Totally. I'm excited. So you know, it's, I, I've got a lot of settling to do first, but. I'm I'm very excited to to have the opportunity to sit down and just really move forward with it. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. Very cool. So is there And I'm excited for your next book too. It's fantastic. When is it coming out? Um TBD. Early stages. Early stages right now, which I'm happy about because basically this the last thing I wanted to do with this was was rush it in any sense because 
I feel like so much of what I've what I've accomplished and done over the last couple of years has been a little bit rushed, um, mm-hmm. just like squeezed, squeezed always for time. Um, so totally. I feel like this book is kind of I'm just trying to be the complete opposite of that. So. We'll yeah, see. write it as it needs to be written and don't force anything. Exactly. Completely. But hopefully not too long from now. <laughs> we'll, <Right. laughs> see. we'll see how that goes. Well, thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here. Thank this you, Jordan. So yeah, fun. it was so good talking with you. I know. So good talking with you too. And um, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Oh, uh, very easy. Uh, just katherinebudig.com. It's my full name, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-B-U-D-I-G. And all of my handles on social media are Catherine Budig. So pretty easy to find. <laughs> so easy. I love that. I'm so jealous of uh, almost everybody I've had on this podcast so far just has the same name on every handle. Everything's super easy. And mine are like all over the place. I know. <laughs> like, well, my yeah, personal name, fun. my everything. Woman of much experience. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It works. Well, thank you so much for being here. We'll definitely talk soon. And this was awesome. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yes. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.